0: Uh, If you take out your Bibles, we're in uh, Philippians 3, uh, continuing on in our series through Philippians, our Christ-centered life. Um, The title of my message this morning, um, Level Up, uh, might lead you to believe that I'm a gamer, a video game guy. Like I've got a couple gaming consoles at home and some controllers and a headset and a bunch of online buddies for virtual warfare or something like that. Nothing could be further from the truth. I am not any of those things. Um, I did, however, once upon a time in high school, I had the original NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. right, And it came with Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt and the little pistol. yeah. And eventually that grew into Tecmo Bowl and some other games. And then I went off to college. And one of my college roommates, I was in a triple my freshman year, he had a computer and he had NHL 95, so now I'm dating myself here, but NHL 95 was a hockey game. And we started playing that, and it got out of control. I mean, we became so competitive and so fixated on this thing that, like, I skipped a week of classes. We just kept playing. <laughs> and I finally thought, I, I got to stop this. I cannot enter into the video game world. I'm I'm out. And. Uh, That is not a place that I I go to. But for our passage today, I couldn't help but to take that phrase out of the gaming world, level up. Uh, And of course what this means is, as a player kind of goes through a particular scenario, they they gobble up all the resources, they develop their avatar's strengths and capabilities, and they complete one level and move into the next. They level up. And in our passage today, the Apostle Paul, I think, would challenge Christians to level up in their walk with Christ, to to grab the resources made available by Christ, to appropriate them, to put them to use in our real bodily life, and to level up in Christian maturity by God's grace. Uh, And so the broad strokes of our passage this morning are like this. We're reminded that God has conferred upon us The status of righteousness, a righteousness that was achieved by Christ. If we've turned in saving faith, we have that status. But we're called upon to live up into, to level up, to grow up into the status that we already have. So if you want the sermon in one sentence and someone's like, yeah, why don't we do this a long time ago, right? Sermon in a sentence, I could get down with that. Grow up into the status God has graciously given you. Grow up into the status God has graciously given to you. Uh, Last week, Pastor Adam uh, spoke about delighting in Christ, knowing Christ, and becoming like Christ in every aspect of our life. And then today we pick up with Paul's own admission that he hasn't yet arrived at this status. He hasn't yet achieved this. Paul hasn't arrived yet. Uh, And so let's let's pick up here in chapter 3, verse 12. should take such a view uh, of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Well, we'll start with the obvious point here. None of us has arrived yet. Did you know that? You haven't arrived yet. This will be the interactive part of the sermon this morning. I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and with smile and good cheer, let them know you haven't arrived yet. Yeah. You enjoyed doing that, didn't you? If they're your spouse, you might add a little honey in there to soften the blow, right? Honey, you haven't arrived yet. If you're single and you're sitting next to an eligible single, you might say, you haven't arrived yet, but I'd be happy to help you try. I'm here to give you pickup lines in church. The point is, no matter how old we are or how long we have been a Christian, no matter how sweet we've become, no matter how humble, no matter how gifted, no matter how much we pray, how much we give, how much we serve, you haven't arrived yet because your goal, God's goal for us is Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness. Jesus, who lived perfectly, served selflessly, ministered miraculously, died sacrificially, Raised victoriously, lives now gloriously. That is your example. None of us has arrived there yet. Uh, There is another level. Wherever you're at, there's another level. Um, As you know, um, or maybe you saw on social media for the last week, I was out fly fishing. And uh, I think there was a little bit of discussion earlier about how long it would be in the sermon before fly fishing stories or pictures of fish emerged. And so uh, the answer is 9 minutes and 30 seconds. If you had 9 minutes and 30 seconds, you won uh, that little contest. Um, and I had, a, I had a great time. And um, Wednesday was probably my favorite day, not because I caught the most fish on Wednesday. Um, I had caught more the day before that. Uh, and this was my third day on the water, but um, about halfway, um, or about two and a half hours into that day's worth of fishing of uh, five, um, I, I caught a very special fish, uh, one that I haven't uh, really caught before. So in this secret stream that I fish, we'll call it "Wish You Knew It Creek." Okay, <laughs> "Wish You Knew It Creek." Um, there are, it has salmon in it, it has rainbow trout, which is why I go. It has grayling in it also, and It has the very rare Dolly Varden in it. And I have fished this creek probably 20 times. And when I fish it, it's usually about five hours at a whack. So I've got like a hundred hours on this creek and I had never caught one there. But I caught one this day. And so here's the picture. And I kind of feel like we should dim the lights and, you know. But we'll zoom in here. What I want to show you is just the beauty of this fish. It's polka dotted. Isn't that cool? It's a fashionista fish, right? <laughs> so I was just thrilled to have um, caught this. I caught another uh, 10 rainbows. After that, I lost a huge one that, as soon as it hit, just took me right over into a log jam and broke off my line. And um, anyways, I'll try to stay on target here. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I Once it broke me off, I thought, you know, I'm good. I'm good. That was a good day. I mean, I am my ankles hurt, this was third day on the water, my hips, I was just weary, my shoulders ached, everything hurt, but it was a good sore, right? It was a good sore and I was so happy about catching this dolly. So I thought, I'm fine, I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna head out and so I started walking out of the stream, I'm about 10 yards from the bank and something strange happened. The ground came up and hit me. (laughs) In other words, I had stepped on a stone, and I don't even really remember falling, it just happened that fast, that in about knee-deep water, or shin-deep water, I hit this rock, and I just went face down into the water. It's poor, here I am, right, master of this stream, just slayed it, caught my special fish, you know. Uh, What an exhibition of fly-fishing, and I fall flat on my face and the water's pouring over me, it's coming into my waders, and I quickly get to my hands and knees and grab my fly rod before it takes off. And, and I stand up, I get to my feet, and I realize that my Oakley sunglasses were on my hat brim, and they went down the water. So if you're, catch, if you're fishing on Wish You Knew It Creek, and you catch a pair of Oakley sunglasses, uh, give me a call. The point I wanted to bring out of this was that I quit. Ten yards too early. i have been on this stream three different days, five hours of whack. It's it's very difficult to navigate all of the obstacles and the holes and the the currents and different things. Had no problems. But at this particular moment, I was sort of basking in my glory. I had been lulled into safety and security, and I fell flat on my face. I quit ten yards too soon. And that is the warning or the spiritual lesson that Paul is giving here. And he starts by letting us know that not even he, the mighty Paul, has arrived yet. He's an expert in the law, an apostle, capital A Apostle, missionary, church planter, incarcerated for the faith. And he says, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still pressing on. And then he invites us to do the same as he does. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like a guy who's at the end? That is a man hungry for the Lord. The second point we see here is this. uh, None of us can quit striving to mature in our Christ-likeness. I'll say this sort of provocatively here. Jesus didn't come just to forgive your sin. Jesus came to restore your life. He came to reinstate your true humanity, something that was marred, Uh, because of the fall and because of sin, Jesus is giving you your life back. He is renovating your life. He certainly forgives our sins, but he is giving us life that is truly life. And so Paul uses race language here to get his point across, and he's basically saying, we are to run hard. We're to run hard, run to win. No jogging, no walking. Not even speed walking, right? Which is one of the silliest sports you can see. My hips hurt just to see someone speed walking. I think, what are you doing? Who thought of that? He uses race language about running hard. Now, personally, I hate to run. I think I've been pretty clear about that over the years. I I hate to run. That's why God gave us four-wheelers, right? I hate to run. But when I was in high school, and I went to a small Christian school. We had about 100 um, kids in the high school. And... um, it was sometimes hard to field a full team. Our cross-country team, and I, I, I guess you need five in order to enter a meet. I, um, I think that's the way it is. But anyways, they asked me one time, hey, we're short. We can't compete unless we have one more person. We know you don't really do cross-country, but would you be willing to come to the meet and run so we can field a team? And I thought, well, I hate to run, but you know, I can get out of school early and you know, go on this away trip, and sure, let's do it. So I went with them. I went with them. And I... I don't, I don't like running, I don't really know much about cross-country. Um, and I thought, well, I'll, my friend Ryan is going, here, and he was a basketball player, and he and I had, had similar athleticism, and I thought, um, I'll, I'll just pace with Ryan, you know, that will help me know what I'm supposed to do. Now, I had been training in volleyball at the same time, so we had weeks into this, and so actually this worked out really well for me because the course was very hilly, And we were, my legs were strong from the training that we had been doing in volleyball. So we get going in this race, and I'm just loping along with Ryan, doing okay. And after about a mile in, I kind of look over at him, and he's straining because of the hills. I mean, and I was just able to chew up the hills, they were easy for me. And he, it was a funny moment, he looks back at me, and he realizes, why are you, why are you so refreshed? Like, I was not weary at this moment, it was kind of strange. And he said the funniest thing, he said, quit running with me and go catch the leaders. Now, here's the thing it had never occurred to me to try to win the race. <laughs> never, I, I'm just on the team. I'm number five. I'm just here so we can feel the team so they can place. So. so I'm a mile into this race before the first time it occurs to me, I might should try to win, you know? And I thought, yeah, I got another gear here, okay. So I started running hard. And you know what? I won the whole dumb race. I beat everybody. I still hate running. The coach tried to recruit me and I was like, no, I'm not doing that again. That was awful. But perhaps this this story kind of exposes or surfaces a similar attitude that you might have in your Christian journey, which is it's never occurred to you to run your Christian race with a mentality to win. To run hard. I don't mean to beat others or compete with others or outperform them, but frankly, maybe you're holding back. And if, as you look at yourself and you look at your life, you realize, I've got another gear. And I'm not using it. So I want to ask an annoying question here. I mean to irritate you with this. I like Gregory Koukl's, line. Let me put a stone in your shoe. I would hope this question would fester for the rest of the day and maybe throughout the week and as you talk to your Christian friends. What is preventing you from radical discipleship? What is preventing you from radical discipleship? And I'm just going to kind of rummage around in your life a little bit, okay? The the pastor's prerogative. And I'm going to Arrange this in sort of three three groups here. Uh, Maybe something we need to stop, maybe something we need to start, or maybe something we need to sort. So maybe something we need to stop. Perhaps what is preventing us from a radical discipleship is that there is that prevailing, besetting sin, unconfessed, unaddressed, and sin thrives in secret but where it dies is in the light, when we bring sin into the light. That's how we kill sin. That's how we mortify sin. So maybe there is something to stop, a sin to confess. Maybe there's an attitude that you've been carrying for a while and you need to repent of it. It's just a sub-Christian attitude. Or maybe there's a relationship that you need to end or you need to alter because it's dragging you down. So something you need to stop. For the second category, maybe there's something you need to start, uh, a spiritual discipline that you need to establish. You know how to read. You know where to find a Bible. You just don't ever put those two together. You kind of let everybody else do your reading and do your spiritual chewing. Learn to feed yourself. Learn to nourish yourself on God's Word. Maybe you need to start a diet, a steady habit of really living in and living out the Word of God. Or maybe you need to add a spiritual mentor to your life or a girlfriend or a buddy that will help you, help hold you accountable to these things and encourage you on. Um, I, I love the old line that says, so goes your fellowship, so goes your walk with God. Or maybe you need to just, you need to finally put some effort forth. You're like me, you were just sort of in the race. It never occurred to you to run hard or run to win. And you realize, yeah, I've got another gear, I need to, I need to get it going. Or maybe it's something you need to sort. Uh, you're busy. You're too busy. If there's one word to characterize your life, busy. Uh, you. You've never learned to use the word no unless you follow it with the word problem. Can you do this? No problem. Cut that in half. Or. Maybe there is something that's good in your life or neutral in your life, but it's become too prominent, it's become out of bounds. Fly fishing is a temptation for me. Although, when I get criticized about it, I just say, the disciples were fishermen. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you're just in a new season in life. You've moved, you've got a new job, you've got a new roommate, something has changed, there's a new circumstance. And it has just sort of disrupted the cadence of your discipleship and the habits and the patterns that you had going. And it's time to get them going again. It's time to reestablish them. What is preventing you from radical discipleship? Something you need to stop, something you need to start, or maybe something you need to sort. And so Paul reminds us that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, The righteous standing of Christ, His righteousness is conferred upon us, imputed to us. God no longer sees our sin. When He sees us, He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's your standing with the Lord. But we don't quit upon conversion. Crossing the line of faith is not the finish line. It's the starting line. It's when we start to run. We are to press on for real-life transformation. In short, we must grow up into the righteous standing that we have in Christ. Discipleship is the divine agenda for the rest of your life. You haven't hit the last level yet, guaranteed. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I love that little snarky turn there. God will clear it up for you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So some of you, frankly, you need to get into the race. And by that I mean you need to become a Christian. You've been kind of sitting on the outside, looking in for a while, wondering, thinking, waiting, waiting for the right time. And I would tell you, if that's been you and you've been holding off and delaying, then today's your day. Confess your sins. Repent. Accept Christ's free sacrifice on your behalf so that his righteousness is yours, so that forgiveness is yours and newness of life is yours. Do it today and don't wait. Some of you need to start running the race to win. You've just been loping. It never occurred to you to run hard and you need to do that. Or some of you need to start running hard again. You were running hard. But you got derailed, you got distracted, you you started walking. It's time to pick up the pace again. And so Paul here, kind of like a workout buddy, says, hey, I got you, let me help you out with this. Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, I kind of want to make this point here. I, I feel like the gift of God's grace is risky, kind of a risky thing. Um, when I first graduated from college and moved to Yakima, Washington, and started working there in ministry, um. The owner of a YMCA in town or manager, whatever their position was, director, I don't know, but they attended uh, the church that I was serving at. And they knew that I was trying to get to the gym and work out. And they said, Hey, you know, we can give you a free, mem- free one year membership if you'd like. And I said, That sounds great. Do you know how often I used that free one year membership? Twice, twice, <laughs> double what you said. <laughs> Why? What was wrong with it? It's free. I didn't have any skin in the game. And I think that's sort of a risk of grace is is that it actually can create apathy. Um, I I love the story of a professor who begins class one day by going to the front of the room, goes to the whiteboard with a dry erase marker and writes on the board, apathy. Turns to the class and one punk kid in the back says, what does that mean? And the other one turns to him and says, who cares? (laughs) That's possible for us in the spiritual life. Great. We're in the kingdom of God. We're saved. My sins were forgiven. They were crucified in Christ. His righteousness is imputed to me. Sweet. I'll just coast now. I'll just wait till he returns. And we end up with the lifetime of Peter Pan syndrome. Let me remind you of a story in the Old Testament that you know. Uh, One of the great heroes of the Old Testament, King David, right? Warrior, poet, musician, man after God's own heart. But David fell hard. And I would submit to you that David fell hard because he wasn't running hard. Uh, He quit 10 yards too early also. The story of David and Bathsheba, which I'm sure you know, begins with two very ominous notes. Uh, oftentimes these, these little subtleties are missed, but let me bring them out to your attention. In 2 Samuel 11, 1, it says this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. In the springtime, when the kings went off to war, David stayed home. And here he is getting up from an evening nap. It wasn't in the early season of his life when he was young and dumb that he made his big mistake. It was in the latter season of his life, time of potential entitlement when he stopped running hard, and he fell. And so one of the risks of grace is that it can create apathy, which is a prelude to a fall. Uh, Or, grace can call us to action. Uh, I love what Dallas Willard says about this, I think it's an excellent corrective, that grace isn't opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. The grace of God can animate us, propel us, instruct us, teach us. This is what the Apostle Paul says in his pastoral letter to Titus. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all of the wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Grace becomes a teacher. It animates. It can propel us. It can call us to action. It doesn't have to lead to apathy. Now, I want to bring this to a close here, but... Uh, Once again, what I want to acknowledge is that there there are different seasons in our life. And I think in these different seasons that we go through, they, they come with some of their own unique, each season comes with its own unique temptation. And I want to just imagine into that a little bit with you. And maybe you would kind of see this moment in your life and what risk is there for you. Let's say conversion. You're a new Christian. You just crossed the line of faith. You realized you were a sinner. You realized that Christ came to die for your sins and to give you life, and so you became a Christian. And you trust that he really has forgiven you, but you're having difficulty forgiving yourself for some of your past. And you're still dwelling on some of those things. Paul would say, forgetting what was behind and pressing on, go forward. Or you're saved. You cross the line of faith, but barely. Like no one would know you were saved if you didn't argue with them and tell them it was so. They couldn't tell it from your life. And you just think, you know what? I'll get serious about this later. I'm young. These are supposed to be my playing years. I'll get serious with the Lord later. And if that's your mentality, I would simply ask you, what makes you think you're going to want to walk with the Lord later after years of apathy? That's a special kind of naivety there. Paul would say, no, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I would also tell you, young person, the imitation of Jesus is the good life. That is the good life. Okay, you get married. (laughs) Now you're trying to figure out, how do I run this faith journey with this other person? Uh, Maybe you've been married for a few years now, and... Their spiritual cadence isn't your cadence. And the temptation for you is maybe to throttle back and just run with them and pace with them. And I would say, don't you dare do it. You run your race to win. You run hard. Run your race to win the prize. Or, okay, you're not married. You're single, and it's a sore subject. Thanks for bringing it up, Pastor. Um, Can I just remind you this? I don't mean to be glib or trite. Jesus was never married and he is the most complete person to ever live and you know who else wasn't married the Apostle Paul right and I, I love what he says in 1 Corinthians 7 here those who marry will have many troubles in this life <laughs> and all married couples said amen to that he goes on to say I want to spare you from this it, it's almost like Paul is saying You know, marriage, eh, it's an option, but singleness, this is where it is. So let me just say, if you're single and sore about it, you have a champion in Paul who says, don't worry about it. Uh, Those married people are having all these troubles. (laughs) I'll say this, if you desire marriage, fine, great. Pray for it, hope for it. But remember, if you're single, be satisfied in that too, because you are wed to Christ. You're his bride. All right, you're a professional. And if there was one word to characterize your life, it's busy. You're just busy. You're in demand. There's never enough of you. You're working more and more hours. Who has time for a devotional life? Who has time for prayer? Uh, I would just remind you of the old saying, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Uh, The warning that Paul gives in this passage, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, right? Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And he would have us remember that our citizenship is in heaven and we live from there. All right, last one. And I think this may be the most deceptive season of all. It's when we're moving to that second half of our life. The later stages of life. Uh, We've had some success and the temptation now is to just coast. To taper. We were saved, we went to college or tech school, we got the job we wanted, we had the career we wanted. By some amazing stroke of grace, we were given a spouse. It's been a good marriage, we have kids, the kids are nearly out, we have a home, it's more home than we need, we have more money than we need, we have lots of time off now because we've worked our job for a long time. We even have resource to put behind our hobbies. We're at a new season of temptation, which is to coast. And I would say, remember David, in the springtime, when the kings went off to war, David stayed home. Whatever season we're in, whatever season you're in right now, God would have you level up. There's another level of Christ'-likeness that you are to press hard for. Run hard for it. Christ-likeness is the goal. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that we do not grow spiritually. we do not mature. Merely by effort. We, we do this in the strength and power that you provide by your spirit. Even that we're thinking of spiritual things is because the Holy Spirit of God is doing that in us. We recognize that. Lord, but we are to participate with your initiating work, to put effort to it. You've given us a faith race to run. May we run it hard for the glory of Christ, our Savior. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.